the Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. I grew up next door to an LDS family. Uh, the son is still one of my best friends, if not my best friend. And his mother, who's been watching the show from Park City, gave him one comment to give to me. Button up your shirt. So, uh, I've done that for you, Florine. And now, I hope you're satisfied. I can't take it anymore. Uh, we welcome all of you. We have an important show to talk about, a continuation from last week, Who is Jesus, Part 2. want to give a shout-out to Brenda, who is at Heart in the Home in Sandy. She's investigating Christianity, her Christianity and the Lord, and we pray for her. I was sitting in Denny's last uh, week in the morning, and a guy named Brian came up and gave me information about the dinosaurs, which I was so sorely lacking on last week's show. Thank you, Brian. Uh, Lucy, who came to know the Lord and has dedicated her life to the Lord, our thoughts and prayers are with you. Carl in Provo, a musician on the Heber Creeper, a musician extraordinaire, we uh, give a shout out to you. And the Matucci family, who is here visiting today, and they're going to be leaving the state of Utah after 25 years. We're going to miss them. A shout out to the Matucci family. All right, Born Again Mormon is a book that we offer. A couple things that have been said about it. Quote, I've read lots of books on the church, and yours is the most fair and focused I've ever seen. Tremendous insights. From a Christian, my sister is Mormon. After reading your book, I have a new understanding of why she joined the church and how to speak to her about her faith. From a woman in California, I read it in one day straight. Hard to believe, but she must be a fast reader. Fantastic job from an LDS reader. I thought your book was uniquely informative and was surprised at the kindness you showed to the church. Thank you for portraying Joseph Smith realistically. You can get Born Again Mormon Moving Toward Christian Authenticity at our website at www.bornagainmormon.com. All right, let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we love you and thank you for this time. We're grateful for this station. We're grateful for the viewers and for your word. We pray that we will be able to get this message across and uh, exchange thoughts in love and consideration on the phone. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we talked about the LDS theological foundations in materialism and eternal laws and principles. I mentioned the Mormon idea that God cannot create something out of nothing. Now, I got received emails that said, this is not true, you made this up. Listen to this quote from History of the Church, Volume 6, page 310 through 311. Preaching in 1844, Joseph taught that, quote, The mind of man is as immortal as God himself. God never did have power to create the spirit of man at all. Okay, you got that quote? I gave you the reference. We also discussed how LDS theology includes that Jesus was a created being. He was God. He was not God from the beginning. That Satan is his spiritual sibling and that we are his spiritual siblings too. And that we looked at father and mother or mothers in heaven and we wanted bodies like theirs. So as spirits, we looked and we said we want a body. And this is where we left off. Okay, picking it up this week. Before we get to the birth of Jesus, which I said we would cover, I realize there's a segment that we should cover prior to that. And uh, we're going to touch on that now, and it's the idea of, the, of what happened in the pre-existence once we said we want a body. Heavenly Father, according to LDS theology, presented a plan. 
He said, you can all go down to an earth, which will prepare. You can obtain a body. You can learn to obey. You'll be tried and tested and rewarded according to your works. Jesus was appointed to be the Savior in the event that we sinned or we transgressed. Our spirit brother Lucifer, according to Mormon doctrine, didn't like this plan because of his pride. And he rallied the hosts of heaven together and caused what they refer to as the war in heaven. Lucifer lost the war in heaven and along with one third of our spirit brothers and sisters was cast out of heaven and became Satan and the angels respectively. Listen to what LDS apostle Bruce McConkie says about this. Listen carefully. In the pre-existent eternity, various degrees of valiance and devotion to the truth were exhibited by different groups of our Father's spirit offspring. One third of the hosts of heaven came out in open rebellion and were cast out without bodies, becoming the devil and his angels. Cross-reference Doctrine and Covenants 29, 36 through 41. Continuing the quote, the other two thirds stood affirmatively for Christ. There were no neutrals. To stand neutral in the midst of war is a philosophical impossibility. Of the two thirds that followed Christ, however, some were more valiant than others. Those who were less valiant in the pre-existence and who thereby had certain restrictions imposed upon them during mortality are known to us as Negroes. Okay? McConkie also said, now listen, Negroes in this life are denied the priesthood. Under no circumstances can they hold this delegation of authority from the Almighty. That's taken from Abraham 1, 20 through 27. Continuing the quote, the gospel message of salvation is not carried affirmatively to them. That's taken from Moses 7, 8 through 22. Brigham Young said, the prophet Brigham Young, Shall I tell you how the law of God in regard to the African race? If the white man who belongs to the chosen seed mixes his blood with the seed of Cain, the penalty under the law of God is death on the spot. This will always be so. That's from Journal of Discourses, Volume 10, page 110. McConkie also said the, Negro, the Negroes are not equal with other races where the receipt of certain spiritual blessings are concerned. Now, Latter-day Saints will probably say, well, in 1978, the church uh, through Spencer W. Kimball offered the priesthood to all worthy male members. That is true. But the problem is, is the seeds that were planted in these early theologies continue on today and they are believed by Latter-day Saints, okay? As recently as last week, I had an LDS woman email me, email me and say this, how could you not believe in a God who places each of us on this earth according to our, val according to our valor as spirit children in the pre-mortal life? This is the only way God could be, could be considered fair and just. We are, to, we are put on this earth in circumstances warranted by our behavior before we were born. In other words, in the LDS mind, everyone on this earth did something in the pre-existence to warrant where they are right now, respective to how the world views good situations and bad situations. This includes the idea that people who aren't born Mormon are inferior in spirituality 
than those who are born in the church. And let me tell you something, viewers. They absolutely believe this. Converts are a, uh, are a cousin when it comes to the, the lineage of superiority in Mormonism. People born in the covenant are considered to be the best of the best in the pre-existent life. Now, before I even left the church, to me, this really bothered me. I always thought, well, Prince Charles uh, must have been the elect of God to be born with all the power and, uh, you know, handsome and all the notoriety and everything. He must have been great. And the Rockefellers must have been valiant. And, and the McConkies, I mean, the McConkie family, the Hinckley family, the, the O.C. Tanner family, they must have been the best of the best. That's why they were born white and Mormon and rich and strong. You know, that's, the, that's the, really the thinking, and I'm not kidding. And on the other hand, Gandhi must have been a, a blithering idiot in the pre-existence. He must have made a bunch of mistakes. Helen Keller was probably a, a reprobate. Uh, Mother Teresa was lacking in, in her uh, charity, maybe, in the pre-existence. And I wonder about Jesus. What was his state when he came to this earth? Where was he born and what kind of money did he have and what kind of looks did he have according to Isaiah? Now, what is the Christian response to the apparent injustices that occur to people in this life? What do Christians say is the reason Africans are born in Africa and starve and, and uh, people are dying in India every day and parts of America are uh, blighted with poverty and other parts are rich? Here, my friend, is what the Bible says about it. Sin. Sin is the reason for all the things that we see around us. Sin. All injustice, death, deformity, ugliness, disease, misery, all unfairness and inequality, and the political corruptness is straight out of the result of the fallen world, which fell because of sin. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, meaning Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And if I was going to add an addendum there to help explain it, for that all have sinned because of Adam. Not even talking about your own sins. We're born in the fallen state. Now listen closely. LDS doctrine teaches that Adam's fall was a good thing. Adam's fall was not a fall downward, but it was a fall upward. That's what they believe. That death, misery, woe, pain, uh, taken to an extreme, even Amish kids getting gunned down in a single room schoolhouse is all for our benefit and our growth and our development to become gods. How philosophically astute. Just pass that on to the starving world and the lame, and those people who haven't had a chance in their life from day one. Tell them this is just God's part of God's plan. Go on and you're going to suffer, but it's part of his plan because of what you did in this pre-existence. You know? That's what they're saying indirectly, and this is pure garbage. Christians know from the Bible that this is not part of our glorious plan of God. God is not pleased with death and woe in his creations. He is not behind disease or inequality, misery, or unfair living conditions. Sin is. It's sin. He is a God of love and goodness and joy and peace. That is why he is all good, and that is why he can be trusted. 
Look at what he did for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Did he send them down into a place that was destitute and full of death and woe? He provided a beautiful, complete place for them. And he walked with them and he desired fellowship with them as they were in this beautiful place he prepared for them. And he hoped that they would then procreate and, and the human race would go about that way. But sin was brought in and the, the title, the deed to this world was handed over to Satan. Do you remember when Jesus met Satan in the wilderness when he, after he had fasted 40 days? And when Satan made all these claims, do this and I'll reward you. Do this, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the things of the world. Jesus didn't dispute that with Satan. He didn't say you don't have a right. Satan had every right because this world is his. And he just let him make those offers, but then he turned it back and said, the scripture says it is written and I'm going to follow the Lord. So when the, sin, when the deed was handed over, sin took over and the whole world, world fell. And as far as skin color, Christians know that God is a marvelous and diverse creator and he gave the earth and all of his creation unique differences to beautify and give variety to the face of the earth. Black is beautiful, yellow, red, white, and brown. All the same people, all have hearts, all have lungs, all have feelings, all have minds, no difference, not here because of some pre-existent fable, but all under the conditions of sin. And yes, some countries have suffered far worse than others because of this condition. Okay, it is man who claims a master race mentality, whether it's a spiritual master race or a physical master race mentality. It is man who is elitist. God is beautiful from the start. If we have faults or deficiencies, it is due to the fall. Before we go to the phone lines, let's take a minute and examine the origins of Lucifer in the context of a pre-existence and biblically. As we mentioned last, last week, Mormonism teaches that Lucifer was the spirit brother of each of us, including Jesus. But the Bible teaches a very different picture of the devil. And his beginnings were angelic. I want to take a moment really right now and tell you that all of the notes are available on the website. If you want to get these notes and check my sources and things like that, you can go on there, click on the Word document, and you'll be able to download these notes for yourself. But I'm going to give you some information about angels right now. In the Greek and in the Hebrew, the word means a messenger. And it's employed to denote an agent of God, and it doesn't necessarily mean human or inhuman or, or uh, heavenly angelic. It is used as ordinary messengers in Job. It's used for prophets in Isaiah. It's used for priests in Malachi. The term angels is used for ministers in the New Testament. It's also applied to impersonal agents, such as pestilence, were called the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, and so was the wind called the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. But its divine application uh, is to certain heavenly intelligences who God employs. God created angels as a separate species. And they are in his employ in the heavens. And there's a number of things about them that are very interesting, the Bible tells us. The existence and orders of angels can, bring, uh, can only be discovered through the Bible. And we give you references online if you want to look them up. They are very numerous. Thousands upon thousands, according to the scripture. They have different ranks of dignity and power. As to their nature, they are spirits, according to Hebrews. 
There is some semblance between them and the human race. We know that. Imperfection is ascribed to them as creatures. They're not perfect. Um, they may fall under temptation, according to the scripture. Angels never die. They possess superhuman intelligence and powers. They are called holy in Luke, elect in Timothy. They must not be worshipped. Their functions are manifold. They are agents of God's providence. They are special agents and carry on the great work of the redemption. When Jesus came to earth, the incarnation introduced a new era of ministering angels. They came with the Lord to the earth to do him service first, to predict his advent, and to minister to him in his temptations and in his agony. And then thereafter, the resurrection and his ascension. Today, ministering angels... Uh, minister to the spirits of people who believe in God. That's really beautiful, isn't it? These angels are out there and they're a created species by God to help him in spiritual things. They rejoice over the penitent sinner. They bear the souls of the redeemed to paradise when they die. And they will be ministers of judgment hereafter on that great day, according to the scriptures. All these things help describe what angels are. Now, Lucifer was an angel created by Jesus. I'm going to read this last, going to take me about two minutes to read Ezekiel 28, 11 through 18. It is uh, a description that can be taken two ways and should be taken two ways. One applies to the current time that Ezekiel was writing and a king, and the other applies to Satan. And listen to the description of this. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. So it describes him as full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the car, uh, carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was created in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in all thy ways from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, and it shall devour thee. And I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more.
I want you to know that that describes Satan, where he came from, he was created, and how he fell because of his pride and his beauty and his wisdom. And he fell and was cast out, but it has nothing to do with being a spirit brother to Jesus or a spirit brother to you or I. Next week, we're going to talk about the fall of Adam and the virgin birth, if we can get to it. There's a lot of material to cover. Let's go to the phone lines. We are going to our old favorite, Douglas, in Murray. Douglas, you're on the heart of the matter. Sean, good evening. Good evening. Yes, I wanted to point out that uh, from the very beginning of Adam and Eve leaving the garden after the sin, after the fall, from their own sons, Cain and Abel, up until the flood of Noah, the people lived in the flesh, in the earth, and they became more and more wicked. And God the Father said that he was sorry that he created them, so that Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives were the only ones found to be worthy to to live beyond the flood. Mm -hmm. He destroyed everyone on the earth. Mm -hmm. then, then we have the Israelites, the chosen people, being dragged off into captivity twice. Some of these great prophets that we hear about and hear from are writing from their captivity. Sure. It was a difficult and a very stormy existence for approximately... 7,000 years now, and we, we know that we're at the very end of the, of the age, of the church age. Amen. With, with a lot of the things that are happening right now all over the world, nuclear weapons being tested by the North Koreans, we're looking at times that are biblical and perilous and being described within the book of Revelation and Daniel and Matthew and Ezekiel. And we know that it won't be long. And perhaps the reason God is waiting just a little longer is so that you and I can bring our Mormon brothers and sisters, our families, to a saving grace Amen. and a belief in the Jesus of the Bible. Amen, Douglas. Not a Jesus that's different that the Mormons believe in. Douglas, a great message. Thank you for sharing that. It brings it into present time to what we're doing. I really appreciate it. Thanks again. Yep, you have a nice evening. You too. Bye-bye. Our hearts call out to you, Latter-day Saints, and they call out, especially in my heart, to those of you who are unsure, who don't know, who don't buy all the stories, who can't measure up. If you don't know the Lord, please listen to the calls like this. Listen to the messages and, and open your heart to uh, hearing what's being said so you can accept Jesus. You can be born again. Be born again. Ask the Lord to do it. And then you can decide if you want to continue to be a Latter-day Saint after he changes your spirit or not. We're going to John in Spanish Fork. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay. You're on, John. John, you got to turn your TV off. I did. Okay, you're on. Hey. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Great. Uh, I just want to make a comment to add to your dialogue on Lucifer a little while ago. Okay. I think he may have been created as one of the covering angels even. But uh, when he saw that, that little pile of dirt, 
that became Adam was going to have a closer relationship with God than he had. Oh. I think that was the source of Satan's rebellion. I can't find anything in the Bible that talks about why Satan rebelled, but I've, it occurred to me that that might be of a very good reason why. Great insight. Great insight. I, I don't think it's insight. I think it's God, God's inspiration. Well, I, I don't know if it is because it's not in the Word, and I don't have anything to, to back it up by it, but I like the insight, and it's a, it's a good thought. And then for you, if that's inspiration that God's given you, praise God. Years ago, I, I've discovered that uh, Satan was not a brother of Christ, that Satan was one of the created angels, yeah, and that the angels had to be created before the universe was created because when they saw the universe, they give out a great shout of amazement at the yeah. sight of it. Yeah. And Amen. he was here. He was there when that happened. Yeah. But when he found out what his duty was to be to, to shepherd these little piles of dirt or that would become closer have a closer relationship with God than he had. He was beneath that, huh? He was beneath that. Well, he was, he was, he felt he was better than that. Yeah, he, exactly. Was, that was why he rebelled. John, thanks for the insight. Really appreciate it. Okay. Talk to you again. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Simon in Salt Lake City. I don't remember anyone named Simon ever calling before, so maybe you're a first-time caller. Simon, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey. Yeah, I'm a first-time caller. A little bit of a long-time watcher. You know, we, I got turned on your show a few months ago. Me and my buddy sit around and take rips, and we talk to you on TV. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm, I, I grew up Mormon, and uh, I've kind of fallen away from it. So I, I think you make some good points. Uh-huh. But I got to tell you, I'm not, I'm not like a proponent of the church in any way. You know what, John? I'm having a, I mean, uh, Simon, I'm having a really difficult time understanding you. We're having a technical difficulty. I don't know if you know that. Can, does it sound different when you're speaking? No, it sounds all right. That Probably sounds better. Hear me now? That sounds better. Go again. Okay, basically, in summation, you suck, man. You suck. Excellent call by John. A man full of truth. A man full of courage. Simon. Sorry, John. Not you, John. Simon! Wow, man. What a disappointment. I thought you were going to be honest and kind of share honestly. I share honestly. You know, you can't do that. All right. We are going on to David in Salt Lake City on line one. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay. You got to turn your TV off, David. Okay. Hello, Sean. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Um, I just had a question about uh, what Douglas said earlier. Okay. About the ending of the church age. Yeah. What, what does that mean? Well, what he's talking about is I think he's talking about the end of the time of the Gentiles. And it's where we are going to have the opportunity as Gentiles to be accepted into uh, the bride of Christ, the church. And uh, after that closes up, after that dispensation is done, uh, it's like the seventh seal and, and we're into uh, Armageddon and everything else. So what he was trying to say is we're at the end times. Look at the world around us. We can look at the dispensations in the Bible. We know it's the dispensation of the time of the Gentiles and we know that that's ending. And this is just the last ditch effort for the Lord to reach as many people as he can before the end times come. Does that help? Oh, I was yeah. I was also wondering in um, I think it's Second Thessalonians. Okay. It talks about before the Antichrist being revealed. Yeah, the son of perdition that there'd be a falling away. 
Yeah, what does that talk about? What that is talking about is the very elect are going to start falling away. It has nothing to do with an apostasy, a worldwide apostasy of the truth. Jesus said the, he would establish his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So we know it doesn't have anything to do with a worldwide apostasy, but it does have to do that there's going to be a falling away, and I can see it now. I mean, we have a television medium of talking to people about the Lord. I turn on the TV and watch similar type shows, and it disgusts me. So we have that happening right now. In Revelation, it talks about Laodicea and that the people are going to like to hear their own voice. And they're going to speak to people about the things they want to hear, not the things that they need to hear out of the Word of God. Those are happening in the end times. So that's what I think it's talking about in Thessalonians. Does that help? Yeah, that does help. But uh, so like, um, the, but it's, it's not meaning that the end of like churches will come to an end? No, I don't think it means that. In the last days, because this is going to start a big thing with emails, please don't do it. I'm pre-trib, just let me be pre-trib. There's post-trib, there's middle-trib, but I'm pre-tribulation. In the last days, there's going to be a, a calling up of the bride of Christ, the church. And the Lord's going to take his church up. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. He's going to take his church up, and that's going to be the beginning of the end. Okay, and so uh, uh, that is what it's talking about, the church uh, being fulfilled, the church times. So, so all believers are going to be, that we won't be here for the tribulation? I don't believe so, no. I don't believe that the Lord is going to put his believers through the tribulation. That's my opinion. I think this, Now, this is one of the things in the body of Christ where there's division. It's yeah. not a deal breaker. It's not a deal breaker. It's just some division, and frankly, it doesn't matter because we're all in the Lord, and he'll, he's going to take care of us one way or another. But I do believe that. We're going to keep it going, brother. All right. God bless you, and I love you so. Thanks for the call. I really appreciate it. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll be watching. God okay. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Cassidy. That's my daughter's name in Salt Hi, Lake. Is this you? Yeah. Hey, what are you doing? We won. You won. Excellent. My daughter... Had a volleyball game. She's been wanting to call the show, and she's doing it right now. <laughs> How did you do? Um, we played really well. Good. Oh, good. Excellent. But, Cassidy, uh, you were raised for a good part of your life as a Latter-day Saint, and your name is still on the records of the church. You still have friends who are LDS. You still go to the church at times, but will you shit? Share with the audience her uh, her testimony of Jesus and what's happened with her. It's an amazing thing, and religion has become so insignificant to her, and uh, yet her relationship with the Lord has taken over her life. She's 17 years old, and it's a real blessing to our family. So maybe she'll call back. We're going to Brandon, first-time caller from Midvale on line three. Brandon, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi there. How's it going, Sean? Hey, good. How are you? Good. Hey, um had a question um i was just a little confused about your um your belief about the lds faith that we don't have faith in jesus christ oh no i, I don't say that brandon i don't i've never said that never oh really never okay. I, I i believe that uh that jesus that well 
I believe that you have faith in Jesus Christ, but I think that you have a faith in a Jesus that is very different from what the Bible teaches he is. Whether that, whether that can save you or not, sorry, Christian pastors who get mad at me, I don't know. Only the Lord knows that. But I believe that you have an uh, LDS theological image of Jesus, which is made, of man, made by man. I do know that Latter-day Saints believe strongly in the atonement of Jesus Christ. I know you know he came to this earth and suffered for your sins and died for those sins. Yeah. But, but the problem is, is you don't believe in grace. You don't believe your salvation is by the grace of Jesus. You believe it is by grace and works or works and grace. Well, we, we, we believe that we enter into a covenant through, through faith, repentance, and baptism. Yeah. And uh, in that covenant, Christ, he expects us to do something. Yeah. He, does, he doesn't just expect us to have faith in him to believe. Really? We're saved just by our belief alone. He, he expects something on our part. And okay. It makes sense. And that covenant relationship, it brings expectations for you and on, regarding your salvation. And the difference between Christians and Latter-day Saints is Christians believe that it is by, faith, by grace, through faith, that they are saved. Period. Yeah. And, okay. and we, we believe the same thing. Of course you're no, saved. No, but you've redefined the idea of what, of what saved means. What you've done is you say saved either means, you have two definitions actually, it either means you're going to be resurrected or it means you will receive a kingdom. But salvation in the Christian terms means living with God again. Salvation in the LDS term does not mean that. Exaltation means that, and that is derived by doing the works that the LDS church prescribes. So what you've done is you've taken the work of Jesus, the finished work, which is what does it, and you've added on to it. Uh, okay, uh, it doesn't make sense. But, um, and then I have another question regarding baptism. Yeah. Um, you, you teach that baptism isn't uh, completely necessary. Um, yeah. where, For what? In the Bible that baptism is not essential. Uh, where does it say that it's essential? Uh, it says it's uh, John 3, 5. Jesus says, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And what does he say after that? What's the verse after that say? I have to look it up. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. I say unto you, you must be born again. When he talks about the being born of the water, he's talking about the flesh there. He is not talking about baptism. That's a, you've read into that completely. When you read the Bible, you read the words. That's all you got to do. You read what the words say. You don't read into them. Now, I believe baptism is very important to Christians. And I think that a Christian should be baptized. I think it brings the Holy Spirit. I think it brings a, a, a type of sanctification and power that can't be found outside of it. But the thief on the cross was not baptized. And he is something I look to and say, well, you know, Jesus himself said, today you'll be with me in paradise. I believe that. That's why we believe in baptism is for the dead. Well, of course, it's a, it's a fine backup system to keep you going and doing all kinds of things. Look it, you know, this is just a system, and I know we have a disagreement, but the Bible doesn't talk about any of those things. And I know you're going to say 1 Corinthians talks about baptism for the dead, but that's taken out of context. You just quoted John 3, 5, taken out of context. I'm sorry. Except the man be born of the water, that's pretty clear to me. How are you born of water? How? Yeah. And by immersion the way Jesus Christ was baptized. When, when your mother gave birth to you, did her water break? So you're saying when you're born by Be your mother's womb? Because he follows that verse up with that which is born of flesh is flesh. You understand that? I mean, he follows it up right after that. He, he explains it to Nicodemus. 
Nicodemus says, what do I do? You know, uh, how to, born again, do I go back into my mother's womb? He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. And you have to remember the baptism that John did, John the Baptist, was not uh, uh, necessary for salvation. That wasn't even a baptism unto uh, anything but repentance. We have a show on baptism. I don't know if you saw it, but you can get it online, www.bornagainmormon.com. Sorry, I'm not pushing it, but you can get the show on baptism, and we cover every aspect of it. Okay. All right, man. Hey, thanks for the call. Thank you. Okay, see you later. Bye. We're going to Tim in Boise, uh, line four. Tim, a first-time caller. Hey, how are you today? I'm Hi. doing well, Tim. How are you? Well, I had two questions, and I accept them with you. Now, on a total of sins, the Mormons believe that Christ died for some of our sins, and the other ones you're going to have to shed your blood for. I'm sorry, Tim. I can't understand you. Um, do the Mormon doctors teach that Christ died for some of our sins? Yes. And that for others, we're going to have to atone for our own? Yes. A good question. Uh, they believe that murder is not atoned for by Jesus. If I understand it right, and I think I do, murder cannot it has to be taken care of by blood, shedding of your own blood. That's why in the state of Utah, the last execution by firing squad was Gary Gilmore at the point of the mountain so he could shed his own blood and pay for his own sins in that way. And then you're up to the grace of God to see whether he's going to uh, let you uh, advance beyond the celestial kingdom or not. But you're right. There are some sins that aren't. Now, Christianity, you know, blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is unforgivable. So we know that in Christianity, there are sins that are not forgivable uh, if you commit them. Now, also, do they believe that at judgment, God, Jesus, and Joseph Smith are going to be the ones judging you? There's different stuff. It's not doctrine, but there have been uh, uh, phrases said. In fact, uh, Brigham Young said it. I can't give you the direct quote, but it's something like you're going to have to pass through Joseph Smith, the portals of Joseph Smith, something like that. Yeah. I wanted to share something with you real quick. I'm All sorry, right. breaking up again. Our sound okay. is bad on this line. How's that? What? How's that? Good. I wanted to share something with you. I was going to say we have, but we don't. It's God's ministry. We've done nothing. God has done everything. Yeah. We have a gospel track ministry. We have them that cover everything from football to flags to calendars. We probably go 41 weekends a year. We have given them to the Beach Boys, the Raiders, Bobby Hatfield, for he passed away. We got it to Ringo Starr. We've given it to John O'Hurley. You need to say Ringo Starr in our show. <laughs> Bodie Miller. We've given it to Jack Wagner, Donald Trump. Oh, that's awesome, man. Maury Povich. Uh, we got them for kids, for teens. We, last July 4th, Last 2005, we had prostitution houses in Nevada with the gospel. 2005 of January, we took the calendar gospel, and she witnessed to women in a porn expo to women who were in pornography, gave it to them and witnessed to them. Well, praise God. Good and work. From, from 2003, we've probably given the gospel to well over 16,000 people. And this all we want to do is give people a simple message of the gospel. And 99% plus of the people take them because it's done in a courteous fashion, a polite, friendly fashion. Very nice. Thank you so much for your call, Tim. We appreciate it. Keep watching. You bet. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Robin in uh, West Valley, first-time caller on line two. Robin, you're on Heart of the Matter. Thank you. Hi. Is your TV on? Um. 
it's on, but it's not. <laughs> you got to turn it off, Robin. It's off. You're on the air. Hi. Hi. Fire away. Okay. I. This is the first time I have watched your show. It, we. My mother ran past it merely by accident, and um, we've become very, very interested in what you're um, saying today. Uh-huh. With having LDS family members, we're not LDS, but um, we do have family members that are LDS. Okay. And um, I'm, I'm really intrigued on the, the things that you're saying and how you're very, very bold with it, and I commend you for that. Um, you must have, I know you said that you were LDS before, and something must have stirred you into researching even more. What exactly was that? Well, I was LDS for 40 years, um, and, uh, and so I came to know the doctrine pretty well. I taught seminary and was in different positions that helped me learn it. But I came to know the Lord at the side of the road when I recognized myself as a, a, a sinner, unable to uh, present himself worthily before God no matter what I tried or did. And uh, so, uh, long story short, and if you stay on the line, we'll send you our book out, and it will tell you the story. Maybe you and, you and your mom or someone could read it. But uh, long story short, the Lord changed my life completely and radically. And that led me to go and enter um, a theology school and uh, study for a couple years there and use what I learned about Mormonism. And I just have a heart for the Latter-day Saints. My, wi- my wife's family, my wife, my kids, actually my kids and my wife have left the church essentially in, in thought, but my parents, my brothers and sisters, all LDS. And uh, I want them to know the Lord, and uh, I want Latter-day Saints to know the Lord. When I'm in meetings where they're worshiping the Lord, and it's a wonderful experience, I think of the LDS, what they're missing, and how they could be there, too, experiencing the same thing. So that's kind of what prompts me and why we do the show. Exactly, and I, I want to thank you for, for being bold and doing your research and um, allowing your show to broadcast that. Well, thank you so much. They're looking you know, into it as well. And I wanted to uh, congratulate your daughter on her win. <laughs> She'll laugh about that. <laughs> Why don't you give a hate to my mom? Her name's Jewel. Jewel? She's watching right now in the other room. Is it Jewel? Uh-huh. Jewel, we love you. I hope you're uh, close to the Lord. I hope you're going to a good church. If you, don't have a, if you guys don't have a good church, give us a ring or uh, look at our website. We recommend some churches in the area. And uh, thank you for watching. She's actually a Seventh-day Adventist, and oh. she, she um, enjoys the truth. Yeah. And um, not a whole lot of people are um, preaching the truth anymore. Yeah, it's, it's a tough find, isn't it? Well, maybe we can talk another time. Thank you so much for the call. Certainly, and I look forward to your book. Okay, stay on the line, and the operator will pick up. Okay, thank you. I can do this right. If I do it wrong, call back. Hold on. Okay, can an operator pick up line two? All right, let's go to Mike in Salt Lake City. Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, great call to follow. I had a question about, um, I grew up Mormon. I remember something that was talked about a lot that's not talked about anymore. Yeah. It is uh, at the end of days, aren't all the LDS supposed to go to Missouri? Yeah, you know, that was talked about all the time. Go to Adamondiamon. That's a place in Missouri, for those of you who don't know. And it's supposed to be where the original Garden of Eden was. 
And uh, Mormonism is a very Americana religion, and, and even the Garden of Eden's in Independence, Missouri, or somewhere nearby. But yeah, they're supposed to be a gathering, us like a secret call, and I haven't heard much about that either. I'm sure it's still part of the belief system, but in the last days, all the Mormons are supposed to like get a message, hey, we're going to Missouri, and they're going to hand cart it back or drive if there's gasoline, and all gather back there. Right, like you're supposed to be like walking back because there's no gas. Yeah. They've already bought the land for it, and yeah. And nowadays, no one even knows about it. I was talking to a, a coworker that's LDS, and I was like, you know, that's kind of strange. And he's he's like, no, that's not true. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely true. In fact, I'll uh, do a little research and kind of get some more facts. I remember that as a kid, but I don't remember hearing much about it as I grew up. But that's a good mind jerk. I'll look back and and we'll talk about that the first of next week. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about it for like twenty years. So yeah. All right, excellent. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Okay, see you later. We're going to Susan in Layton, a first-time caller. Susan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. Um, I am a former Mormon. I'm a Christian now and mm. have been for about 25 years. Uh-huh. But um, earlier in your broadcast, you were reading uh, Mormon doctrine stating that Mormons um, believe that Satan and Jesus were brothers in the pre-existence. Yeah. Um. Of course, we know in the Bible that um, Jesus is God. He's part of the Trinity. Yeah. And so that, is, that doctrine is completely against biblical doctrine, that Satan and Jesus were brothers in a preexistence. Yes, it is. Um, when you were also stating a few minutes ago that you didn't know um, whether Mormons, the South, their faith in Jesus, you know, would, I mean, only the Lord knew whether that was um, going to be true salvation for them or not. Yeah. How can it be when they don't know who he is? If they, if they believe he is brothers with Satan, they don't really understand that he's God. They don't really understand that he's part of the Trinity. How can they, how can they truly have their faith in him? They don't know who he is. It's a great sticking point, and it's a, it's a point of argumentation, but... In my opinion, and it's a liberal thought, I don't think the religion of a person uh, really is indicative of their faith in Jesus. And so to cast any of them, I'm talking any of them, uh, if someone says they believe in Jesus, uh, I have to, as a, as a person who doesn't know the minds and hearts of anybody else, I have to take that on you know, the basic thing of what they've said. Now, of course, we can bring up all kinds of things and try to teach them and talk to them about who Jesus really is, which is why we do this show. But if I, there are very many people who have a real faith in Jesus, who, who pray that he will guide them every day and they trust him and have a faith in him, who don't necessarily know the right one. And so, I, you know, a loving God, and I, I'm not saying they are saved, but I'm not saying they're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I would hope that they were because I would too. My family <laughs> be nice and convenient, Mormons, wouldn't it? But um, it just doesn't seem possible to me that they could follow that doctrine. Well, let's look at this. Look at the Catholics, and, and I'm not picking on you, Catholics, but they pray to Mary. I mean, and I know there are Catholics who uh, have some very unique ideas relative to uh, biblical doctrine, and yet there are some very, very good Catholics. When I say good, I don't mean in their behaviors, but I mean in their faith for Jesus. Uh, I think that you can take it to an extreme. I think that you might look at some Muslims who may secretly hold a passionate place of complete acceptance and faith in the Lord. 
I just am not going, not confined to uh, what church a person attends. I don't like doctrines that are heresies. I like to say the Bible's the only way, and I believe that. But, uh, you know, the thief on the cross, he, he admitted Jesus for what he was. How much did he know? How much does someone who, who asked Jesus to take over their life uh, doesn't really know him and is hit by a car three minutes later, how much do they really know of him from the word? We don't know. And so our job is to preach Jesus, teach Jesus, show Jesus, and, and, and let God work out the rest. Okay. All right. Thanks so much for your call. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. We are going with Justin and Layton on the infamous line four. Hey, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. I just had a quick question. Um, I don't mean to hang up on this, but uh, what you, you mentioned earlier on the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, the unforgivable sin. Now, and I'm a Christian. And I've always, I don't know, I haven't really been uh, stuck on that, but I'm curious what exactly, I don't know, what's your take on it, I guess? Well, it, I, what's my opinion of that, what it is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that um, you have to absolutely know that Jesus is God incarnate, part of the Trinity. You know who he is, and you turn against him on purpose. I okay. think that's what blasphemy against. Because the Holy Ghost is what reveals to us truth here on this earth, and you would have to blaspheme his witness to you knowing I know who he is, but I, I'm turning from him anyway. I think that's what it means. Okay. Yeah. Well, excellent. And also, I just wanted to uh, mention, uh, or just say out, it's awesome what, uh, what you're doing and just how much uh, my mind is broad. Just from, uh, I used to really think, you know, well, God hides behind Christianity and Christianity alone, but um, just, uh, especially through your book and God moving through that, it's been really neat to have, uh, for him to uh, show me that, God is, is so beyond that. He's not, he doesn't lie behind a title or anything like that. He, uh, he is, um, he's beyond all that, and that he um, just can, you know, he's got stuff that's so beyond us. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's I do. Amazing. It's amazing. You know, I really appreciate your, your call and your kind uh, comments, but thank you so much, Jason. Yeah, no problem. Okay, God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to Bob and Murray on line two. Bob, you're on Heart of the Matter. Nice to talk to you, Sean. I talked to you last week, and I just wanted to give you another call. I think you're doing a great job on your uh, series that you do. I'm kind of hooked. Thanks. <laughs> hey, uh, a comment, question. Uh, some called a while ago. I think he was at Yale today. And you were explaining to him how important grace was in, in, in you know, your relationship with Jesus. And I, I've learned that through my life, that that's important. Um, I guess my thought is uh, that the work that they do, are not so much in line with their belief or faith, but themselves with God themselves. Is that true? I'm so sorry. I'm hearing about every other word, Bob. Say it really slowly and condense it down. God, I, you know, I, I know that you were talking to this young man a little while ago, just how important grace is in our relationship with Jesus. Yes. And I know in the LDS faith, it's important that you do the work of all. In my, you know, my lifetime, you know, if, if you believe God, love, you do the kind of things that uh, you'll have the relationship with. I think that works itself. But my comment is that the work they do, the elders are not so much in line with their belief or faith in love to God, but they gain themselves both being God themselves. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, from I'm getting, as much as I heard, I think it's correct. I'm, so, I'm sorry, Bob. We owe you a great apology. 
We're, we just got a new soundboard back. It's having some problems. And your call, especially coming through here, I just can't hear it. Please call back We got uh, and uh, try it again. I will do it again. You betcha. Thanks, Bob. You want it to, me to call back tonight, or should I wait till another? Go next week, because we only have two minutes now, and the lines are full. Gotcha. I'll be on there. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, we're going to Brittany and Provo on line one. Brittany, you're on Heart of the Matter, if we can hear you. Hi, can you hear me? I can. Oh, good. Okay. Um, I am a Latter-day Saint, and I ran across your show, uh-huh. and I was just kind of wondering um, what the point of your show is exactly. Oh, to just be a big jerk and get everybody mad at me? and No, I'm kidding you, Brittany. Uh, the point of my show, our ministry has two purposes. Bottom line, two purposes. To uh, introduce spiritual rebirth to Latter-day Saints as an emphasis that is missed, and to uh, try to influence the Latter-day Saints to embrace the Bible as the inerrant Word of God. Those are the two primary purposes of our ministry. Now, we use our, uh, our half-hour time at the beginning of the show to talk about different things that are differences between Mormonism and Christianity. But bottom line, those are the two uh, important sticking points that we are focusing on. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> Does that help? Yeah, it, it does a little bit. I'm just, you seem like a really nice Christian guy, and I think it's kind of strange to have um, a show where you focus on Mormon religion. It's well, we're in the Mecca of Mormonism, and I was LDS for the 40 years. Right, I, I saw yeah. the part where you talked about that. So I think the show is applicable, and I think uh, a lot of people are very interested in Mormonism. They don't know much about it, uh, even some of the people in the church itself. So uh, it's, a, it's a, an exciting show in a way because people are learning and uh, hopefully they're getting a straight-out biblical and unbiased opinion. Now, sometimes I have a bias, it'll show, but I try to be as even-keeled as possible. Right. Okay. All I... right, Brittany, call back. We're out of time. Okay. All, All right. God bless you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We'll see you next week talking about the virgin birth. Bye. I'm on a ride. Going nowhere I am an existential cowboy on the wind And I won't be coming out I'm going This man's awake A storm's arising the dawn's waiting till a hundred monkeys know And I can feel the light till monkeys start